You're listening to the Northern Hunter Podcast, home of all things hunting, fishing, and outdoors in Alaska. Welcome back to the Northern Hunter Podcast, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Dalton Gray, and with me today is Mariah Humphreys. Hi. How are you doing today? All I'm doing. Yeah, making it through another day of the week. Yeah, yeah, just uh, just got off work and just, walked in here and I'm tired. Yeah, me too. Everybody's got kind of a little cold bug going around town and I, uh, my wife is feeling under the weather right now as well. James is out of the studio today. He is unable to join us. He's on he vacation. Is, he is in Montana, the lesser great state in the United States. And he is uh, with his wife on vacation right now. So we will be carrying on the show without him for today. Poor, so, poor guy. Yes, poor guy. He's stuck in Montana. But I've been seeing on his wife's Instagram, they've been seeing a bunch of bison and they've gone to Yellowstone and they've taken a lot of a lot of neat photos of some wildlife down there. So I'm sure we'll have some stories yep, from him when he I, returns. I love shooting wildlife with a camera. Yeah, I, I don't think that's a great term, but we'll move <laughs> on from I, that. <laughs> that. That's why I said it, because it, it's terrible. Yes. So we'll kick off today's episode by saying thanks for listening. We appreciate you joining us yes, once again on the show. It. We have gotten a lot of great feedback and support from our listeners up to this point, and we hope that continues. If you have any questions or comments, write us an email through our website at the Northern Hunter, and we will try to get to it if we can. And if you have any questions, we'd love to answer it on the podcast and maybe maybe uh, turn it into a topic for a show which is kind of what we're doing today. Yeah, basically. So to start off, we have some housekeeping to do. A friend of mine messaged me here in town that he had listened to one of our previous episodes where we discussed search and rescue with mm-hmm. helicopters. And I had very dogmatically stated that you could not transport game or hunting equipment with a helicopter in the event of a rescue. I stand corrected. Page 18 of the Alaska Department of Fish and Game Big Game Record uh, Records Regulations. Page 18, bottom left column, it says using a helicopter for hunting or transporting hunters, hunting gear, game meat, trophies, or any equipment used to pursue or retrieve game, except helicopter use may be authorized to rescue hunters, gear, or game in a life-threatening situation. So this comes from the list of what you cannot do right, while hunting. Right. So it, it, it basically says you cannot use a helicopter for hunting, transport of hunters, gear, game meat, trophies, or any equipment to pursue or retrieve game, except in the event of a life-threatening situation. I'm really glad they put that in there. So apparently this has been in there for a while, and I just never took the yeah, time to told, read it. You told me about it earlier this week. And I, I, I'm surprised, but is, also happily enlightened. That's awesome. As I spend, you know, four or five months a year uh, guiding, in the event that I ever had to get a helicopter ride out for right. myself or a client, you know, if, if we were on a very remote sheep hunt and I got hurt, now my client doesn't have to carry out, you know, well, a client and a packer doesn't have to carry out all of my gear plus the ram. Right. And, or uh, you yeah. don't have to go back in there and get it. Right. Or send someone else if you're by yourself yeah, or, you're, you know. If you're badly hurt. You can imagine that situation just about as bad as you want to. So now we know we were wrong. So we apologize for that discrepancy in, we, our, uh, in our show. Do we want to say who corrected us? That was Mr. Tyler Friel, host oh, of the Tundra Talk okay, podcast. I yes. to, I, I'm sure he'll appreciate that, that. That's right. Yes. I forgot to mention that earlier. 
at some point would like to have Tyler on the show. We've talked about that before yep. with him. So he's a veteran sheep hunter and uh, has a great podcast that you should check out as well if you want to hear some great entertaining hunting stories. And what is that again? Tundra Talk Podcast. See that you're wearing Shout a out. Uh, hoodie that has a... Uh, That's correct. It's got an old uh, I'm actually tundra. wearing a Tundra Talk hoodie today It's got an old t- Skidoo Tundra on it. Yes, a Sled 90s and, model Skidoo yep. Tundra. Which my dad actually owns one of those, and yeah. I've probably ridden that sled more than any other than any other you sled in, in my history, which is not a whole lot. I'm I don't currently own a snow machine. Yeah, I gotta me fix either. That. I sold the one I had. Have to have to fix that so I can get out more in the winter time. But anyway, moving along, the next thing is that a couple of episodes ago we were discussing gear that we used on our Southeast Alaska deer hunt, and yep. James mentioned his raincoat. He bought and brought along a Grundens Neptune raincoat. Which it looked like it worked really good. Yes. He stayed dry. It kept him dry, and it was durable, and it looked like a great product. And we got back when we were talking about it, and he said that it was breathable. Yeah, he said that in the podcast. Yes. And I, I did not look it up at the time. I apologize. I should have checked that before we moved on. But... I looked it up after the fact, and the Grundens Neptune is not, in fact, breathable. It is 100% waterproof, but it is more of a coated nylon fabric, if you will. I don't have the exact names for the fabrics and all the coatings like that. But basically, it's not breathable. It is 100% uh, impenetrable by moisture from either the the outside outside or the inside, except for any holes or tears that may occur (laughs) in said garment. Disclaimer. Yes. Yes. So anyway, it's a great option when compared to rubber rain gear. You get right. better mobility in it, at least as far as I was able to tell. It on sure that seemed hunt. like it. I mean, it, I don't like, I was wearing the rubber rain pants the whole hunt and I did not like how they sagged and how they yeah. just, dr- they, they catch on your knees. They kind of bind up in different exactly. places. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But they really can restrict your, mobi- your mobility. They start to fall down around your past your waist and you try yeah. to step over a log and fall on the log and yeah. it's just not any fun. Yeah, it's not fun. Thankfully, so, I hunted most of that trip, trip alone and so nobody really saw me do that. But. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we'd like to just correct that for any of those that are looking at the Grundens Neptune or are looking for a rain gear option. Do not mm-hmm. consider the Grundens Neptune a breathable option. It is not. However, I think it is a better option to rubber rain gear when you don't need something extremely 100%. durable. Yep. If you don't need something that's super, super tough, that's a great option. It's light. It packs down smaller than rubber rain gear does. So like a sheep hunting option, if you do not want breathable, if you want something that's 100% waterproof, but is more packable than rubberized rain gear, the Grundens Neptune is a good option. Moving along, I saw a story this week that really caught my attention. Yeah, I think I saw that same story. Yeah, so we're going to park on this one for a few minutes today. I'm just going to read you the title from the Free Range American website. Man kills Kodiak bear inside neighbor's house with a 12-gauge. First thoughts, Mariah? So I saw that two days ago. No. Yeah. A couple days ago now. Just about a week ago, probably now. I sent it to you right after I read it, and you responded, oh, yeah, I read that like two days ago, which kind of... I wasn't too happy about why you didn't send it to me when you read it, but uh, I must have read it at like one o'clock in the morning when I was in bed. And I just, have complained about the texts I get from you or calls at four o'clock in the morning for some random well, reason. I'm a morning person, so anyway, um, haven't always been that way. No. <laughs> um. Anyhow, I, I looked at it, saw the headline, read the article, and uh, 
quite the story. I mean, I've definitely heard of a lot of bears and a lot of a lot of cabins and houses, but never but an never actual town residents like this. Town residents and never anything that this massive. Okay, meaning that uh, the a bear, bear uh, yes, the massive as this bear, as big of a bear as this yeah. is. So let me ask you this: or let, while people were inside, right? That's what I'm getting at. Let, let me pitch you this. Okay. There's a Kodiak brown bear inside your house. I'm just going to spoil this a little bit. There are five kids in the house, yourself and your pregnant wife in bed with you. Okay. What are the chances that somebody gets bit by this bear? If you haven't read this story, what are the chances Mm. you think somebody gets bit by this bear? Hard to say, having read the story. In the confines of a house, a bear breaks in. Let me just think about my house real quick. Okay. Now it's different than the story, but uh, you walk in the living room, kitchen, living room, kitchen, and then you've got two bedroom doors, bathroom off of the living room. Kind of, you know, it, it, it's okay. Well laid out, so it's roomy. Um, if this if this instance were to happen ten times, I would have times? to imagine about seven or eight times out you of think? ten, somebody's going to get bit. Or much, much worse. See, the way that I to... picture of it, that, that well, okay. The way that I picture mm-hmm. this is, if a bear breaks into your well, house, well, let, let me let, let He's probably going to be pretty aggressive because he's in a new area. You're probably going to be making a lot of distressing noises, probably shooting at it. There's going to be strange right, right. smells, strange lights. I mean, it, it, and, I mean, and, it, there's and so many variables. We both know that. Scared bears bite people. If you surprise a bear if, if and he doesn't run away, the vicinity to do it. Right. If you surprise a bear, uh-huh. any kind of bear for that matter, and he doesn't run away, it means he's coming at you most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the time. So anyway, we'll get on to the story here, but that that's that was my I first to say thought. One thing about that. Go for it. With those thoughts, and that is, uh, this is a Kodiak brown bear. Mm-hmm. just a, a southeast coastal brown bear, mm-hmm. not an interior grizzly. Right. If it was an interior grizzly, probably I'd put the chances of somebody getting bit probably a, lower. Really? They tend to scare, it seems to me, easier. Whereas coastal brown bears tend to be a lot more ready to charge to what they deem as an issue, whereas a interior grizzly will many times flee when they don't know what's going on okay maybe i think that's a discussion for a different time okay but uh, that, that was my that's up for debate so should w- we just uh, re-record no. skip some of that oh no no no, no? no? this okay. is uh, this is all, right. all good great, great this is all good banter chat now i'm gonna make a disclaimer then if i'm not gonna <clears throat> delete that part <laughs> that um i don't have much experience with the coastal brown bears myself yeah. i have lots of experience with interior grizzlies and black yeah. bears if yeah. it was a black bear I don't think. I mean, you can punch the thing and he's going to run away. You'd hope, but... You, most of the time. Most <laughs> of the time. That, Again, how many bears have you encountered in a house? That would be zero. This is a very, very uncommon occurrence, and neither of us have ever been in this situation before. So and hopefully hopefully we won't be. <laughs> hopefully never. So let's just kind of skim through this story. I'm not going to actually go through and read the article piece by piece. It is a very long it is expose of an very article. Very well written. Yes, they did a great job of talking about it. If at any point either of these individuals, whether the homeowner or the neighbor that comes to the aid, spoiler alert, uh, hears about this show and 
has some more details to share, we'd love to have you on and get your yeah, side of the I story. Yeah, I would be uh, Chris or uh, Alan, right? Correct. I believe so. Or was it Aaron? Uh, Aaron Olson, Aaron I think, Olson. is yeah, the I think homeowner. Aaron. Yes, Sorry, Aaron. not Alan. Okay. So, anyway, let's jump into the story. Brown bear enters the home. We'll jump into the details of the bear first. 988, I believe it was, pounds. It's 980-something. Right back up there on that photo. 988, yep. and the skull was a 27-inch skull. For perspective, Boone and Crockett trophy minimum for the all-time Boone and Crockett record book entry is 28. Yep. I've guided brown bears now for a couple of years, and I've been a part of one brown bear kill that was a 28 plus inch bear that is a monstrous brown bear yeah now kodiak bears do have generally better genetics that's why there's this uh air and attraction about kodiak you know all the way back from the penel and Tallifson days in the 50s and 60s the kodiak bears just kind of gained the most popularity because of their location kodiak is a very diverse place very mountainous has a lot of coast uh very very diverse terrain yep. for an island in the Gulf of Alaska. Usually you have either extremely heavily timbered islands with not a whole lot of uh, elevation differences. Kodiak is not that way at all. Kodiak is very hilly, very mountainous, yep. and you can go from the, from the extremely thick alder jungles down low in the river bottom land all the way up to multiple thousands of feet chasing mountain goats in the cliffs well above tree line. So Kodiak is a, is, is a very, very intriguing and very attractive hunting destination. And not to mention that the brown bears that live on Kodiak Island have been genetically isolated for, I mean, I'm not a biologist, but I've heard hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So that's a long time. That being said, the good bears get better on Kodiak. Yeah. And the outfitters that guide on Kodiak can accurately advertise for world-class skull yep. trophy brown bears, which is how you measure your trophy on a brown yep. bear. The square measurement, you know, if we were to say a nine-foot bear or a 10-foot bear, we're talking about the length of the hide, nose to tip of tail, and then the widest point stretched out from claw tip to claw tip. Yep laid out after it's been skinned and fleshed okay that's what the square measurement is you add those two measurements together and then divide them by two and then you get your square yep that's without stretching don't stretch your bears if you do well you're just a normal alaskan hunter a lot of guys <laughs> do that <laughs> i've never done that before by the way never really i never exaggerate bears so <laughs> you can that's hear like the sarcasm. a fisherman saying he never yes. exaggerates fish exactly bear hunters tend to exaggerate the square measurement so that being said, and wait, the so. skull measurement is the universal standard for, yep. for measuring a bear's size. This bear was 27 inches skull measurement. Huge, huge brown bear. A big adult male brown bear. And this thing comes into this guy's house. Okay, So our homeowner here is Aaron Olson. He heard his dog barking outside. He says he, he recognized that his dog was, was doing his bear bark, he says. He can, he can distinguish the difference between a normal alarm bark if there was a, you know, just an unfamiliar person in the driveway mm -hmm. versus a bear bark where he's just on a little bit different level of excitement and fear and aggressiveness. And so 
For those not familiar with it, a Kodiak, actually a lot of people have dogs specifically trained yes. to bark a specific bark for bears. Alarm dogs. So yeah. the homeowner gets up. The homeowner gets up. He has a 45 Colt. I believe it's a Taurus Judge. Yes. So he, he has a Taurus Judge revolver, a five-shot cylinder revolver. Yep. This revolver can either shoot 45 Long Colt or 410 shotgun yep. shells. So he has 45 Colt loaded into the pistol, five rounds. That'll come into play later. He gets up. He walks out to his back deck, looks out, can't see anything in the dark. He said he doesn't want to open the door because of how his dog was carrying on. He was afraid there was a bear out there. The next thing he hears over his dog's barking is his wife saying, and I'm quoting from the article here, baby, there's a bear. Continuing on in the article, he said he looked back toward the bedroom door he had just walked through. And all he could see was a massive wall of brown fur. And quoting the homeowner, That bear's nose was at my bedroom doorway, looking right at my wife, Olson said. The bear had come in through the front door, somehow bumping it closed, walked through the living room, through the kitchen, past the leftover fried chicken yeah. on the counter, and stopped directly in front of the family's washer and dryer. It was looking at Mary Bell lying in bed. He goes on to say, it took me a quarter of a second to decide to pull the trigger. Pretty quick. Yeah. As you should be when there's a thousand pound brown bear standing in your house. So he shoots this brown bear with a 45 Colt. The story goes on to say, and I'm going to summarize, he shoots four times. Mm -hmm. The article says that he hits the bear three times with the handgun. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt there. It's a hustled situation. He's yep. just trying to basically herd this bear out of his living room and get it away from his kid's door. He has, I believe, five children in the house at this time. So your number one concern is defending your family, obviously. He herds it back out towards his Arctic entryway, which is like a little eight-by-eight eight mudroom at the front of his house, where the bear remains until the grandfather, I believe, of the kids comes over from next door helps get the kids out of the house, and then the homeowner is now standing there with one round left in his handgun. And he said, I wanted to save that in, in the event that the bear turns around to come at me. So the bear is bleeding. It says in the article that the, that, that the bear um, evacuated his bowels on the carpet yep. in the living room. As, you know, 99% uh, of any living animal, whether two-legged or four-legged, <laughs> When is you know when you're shot or hurt, right. that's what happens. You know that that's that's a common occurrence. We're talking about a thousand pound brown bear here. No small Oof. amount of bowel evacuation on the, your living room carpet, <laughs> man. Can, can you imagine the smell and the mess of oh, a brown I'm... bear in your house without this happening? And now he decides to relieve himself on his way out your home. Insane. I, I could not it... imagine the cleanup. You'd be tearing up carpet and replacing but flooring. Let's just say you can smell one of these bears walking through the woods from a long in, ways away. Yes. Without. Yes. Being in a confined space like this. Yeah. Yeah. Even in the wild, you can smell them sometimes before you even see them. Yeah. Imagine this in your home. The cleaning that, that's involved after I this, bet. I'm sure, is extensive to say the least. And yes. Yes. So. That would be gross. The bear is in the mudroom in the entryway. At some point, um, a, a, a neighbor farther down in the neighborhood, I, I believe it was five doors down, was called. He grabs his shotgun, his 12-gauge, I believe it's an 870 tactical, 
runs up the road with copper slugs loaded yep. in the 12 gauge, walks up to the front of the house and can see the bear through a glass pane in the front door. He makes the decision, I'm going to shoot this brown bear through the door, but he said he says that he has the conscious thought of, I don't want to hit anybody in the house. Yep. So he doesn't want the bullet to deflect. And it's unclear to me from the article if Aaron, the homeowner, is still in the house at the time. I'm fairly certain he was because of the way he words to the article in the quotes, that because it says he, um, he stood there at the bear for 15 minutes with his gun pointed at it mm-hmm. in, in his living room um, with the bear basically up against the door, not trying to leave, but didn't know how. Right, right. And and, uh, and he says the police had to call him out for him to come out. Right. So either this was before his neighbor Chris got there, mm-hmm. and the police get there and say, hey, your family's all outside, you can leave now. Mm-hmm. Or, it, you know, the shot was fired through the door, the bear dropped it, and he jumped out a window or the back door or something. So, spoiler, the neighbor walks up. Yeah. Yep. And Whoops. sees the bear <laughs> through the window. Decides to fire a slug through the lower portion of the door, below the window, below the glass pane, as to avoid a deflection. Yep. And hits the bear in the head, goes through the skull, and kills the brown bear. One shot, one dead brown bear. In your entryway. (laughs) That is, number one, great judgment on his part to not shoot through the glass Mm -hmm. and potentially have a deflection, further wound and agitate the bear. Right possibly not killing it immediately, which could then turn the brown bear around and push it back into the living room where we assume the homeowner is still standing with one round left in his revolver. Yes. Bad situation. So for him to exercise the judgment on the spot to shoot through the wooden part of the door and kill the brown bear with, a, with, with one clean, insured headshot, as bestly insured as you could, great uh, judgment on his part. Yeah. So... It also goes on to explain that uh, this neighbor with the shotgun that came to the aid has prior experience being a breacher. And for for folks that don't know, breacher is they're the door kicker or the um, they're the home entrance expert. Right. The way I like to think of them, whether the door is the best he, way to go in or the wall. He was find a previously way in. in the Coast Guard, right? Yes, he was on the Coast Guard tactical team in Florida. The okay. article states so. No small amount of experience, I'm sure, I'm with. Sure either going through or dismantling by explosion yep. doorways. <laughs> so, or shooting people through them. Right. In this and case. In this case, I, I, I don't think he's probably ever practiced to shoot a bear through a door, yep. but, I mean, the principles apply, obviously. Yeah. He did his job and he did it well, and he probably saved somebody from getting bit, we can safely assume, if the homeowner was still indeed in the house. So we go back to this. At, um, let's see here. In the article, it says, Olson put three of the four rounds he fired into the bear. And then there's a direct quote from the homeowner. A 45 Colt is not designed to bring down a 988-pound bear instantly. It is not big enough, he said. You need a bigger gun. Aaron, I couldn't agree more. A 45 Long Colt is largely regarded as very ineffective on most game. It's... Uh, I mean, how would I call it? A cowboy cartridge, if you will. Well, I mean, it is very old. Yes. It's been around for a long time. 
I'm not an expert on the 45 Long Colt. Your dad actually owns one. It's what you used to carry when you were I a used teenager. I used to carry a tourist jug. Yep. Right. It's what you used to carry when you were a teenager when we were bear baiting together yep. in our younger years. Never had to shoot a bear with it, thankfully. Right. Exactly. And a 45 Long Colt with a hard cast bullet with a plus P load is going to penetrate into the vitals of a bear right. at, at the right given angle, but the velocity is not up to what a 44 Magnum would be mm-hmm. or a 454 Casul or a 460 Smith or, or a 500 Roland or a 460 Roland. Um, I, again, I'm not familiar with that one that as one's much. Very, it, it's very ballistically similar to a uh, 44. Okay. Or let alone a 500 Smith & Wesson. All of those that I just named are ballistically superior and a better choice for, for defense mm-hmm. against big bears. A lot of people are going the semi-automatic route for bear defense. Yep. I recently purchased uh, uh, earlier, or I guess it's the new year, so it would have been late 2022, I purchased a Springfield uh, XDM Elite mm-hmm. chambered in 10 millimeter. I have been largely against semi-automatics for bear protection just because I wasn't experienced enough with them. Right. I had had handguns before that were, you know, expensive guns that were deemed ultra reliable and I had bought them, you know, whether it was a ultra expensive 1911 or an expensive SIG of some sort. Yeah. I had always had at least one or two malfunctions at the range or just shooting it for fun while I was out, right. on, you know, riding, you know, on, on, on a, on a four wheeler trail, just shooting pop cans during lunch or something like that. And I had always, over the years, had a few malfunctions with each gun that basically made up my mind that I would never carry an automatic pistol for bear defense, because what if in the moment XYZ happens, I don't have time to clear it, now I'm getting munched on by this bear. Black, brown, grizzly, doesn't matter. It's still going to be a problem if I can't stop this thing with my handgun. So I always distrusted semi-autos for bear defense. Now that they've come out with with a lot of different 10 millimeter options, there have been a flood of 10 millimeter options right. in 2022 alone. Um, well, and there weren't a lot of good automatic pistol calibers for bear right. defense, and they, right. they were all—I mean, nine mils fast, but it's slow. It's small. Yes, and it's yes. not going to do a lot. Very, of very small. Now, can it work? Yes, it can work. Phil Shoemaker down on the peninsula shot a brown bear. Yep. He's a hunting guide, very, very well known. Uh, outdoorsman as far as Alaska is concerned. Uh, and he was he was taking some guys fishing at his lodge. Uh, I, I believe it was a husband and wife, if, if I'm not mistaken. And I don't remember. Um, I, I, it's been a while since I've read the article. Anyway, long story short, he only had on himself this 9mm pistol. They get charged by a brown bear. The clients hit the deck, dive into the deep grass. This is mm-hmm. the middle of summer, I believe. And Phil draws out this 9mm and proceeds to shoot the bear multiple times. It starts spinning in reaction to the shots. He keeps shooting it in the ribs. And these are hard cast buffalo bore bear loads that, ironically, he was testing for buffalo at the time and going to submit a review on them. Well, they got a pretty good review. Pretty much think you can't get a better review than that. Yeah. He killed this brown bear, and it was no small bear either. And now, you know, he's nicknamed 9mm Phil. Well, I don't think he likes that name because anybody <laughs> that either, really but... knows Phil Shoemaker knows that he's a big fan of big bore rifles right. for brown bears. 458s of all kinds of different sorts and 416s and 375s. 
If you have a question about big bear guns, all you have to do is do an internet search of Phil Shoemaker and you'll find information about what he recommends. Very, very knowledgeable guy. But point being, in the hands of a proper shooter with the right bullet, you can get the job done, but that cartridge is not a stopping cartridge. Yeah. Your, go- your goal in a 9mm situation is just to buy yourself some time. In my mind, animal full of as many rounds as you can. Exactly. And just hoping that they're just effective enough to deter it. Because unless you hit it in the brain or the spine, it's not just going to drop the thing. Right? Same thing with a 10 millimeter in my mind. I'm not carrying a 10 millimeter in the interior to drop any bear that charges me. Obviously, again, if I shoot it in the head or in the spine, it will drop. But the same thing would happen if I shot it with a 223. It's not a good option, right? Now, once you step up into like the 454 Casual or the 500 Smith Magnum uh-huh. or the 460 Smith, those options, you could, in theory, have enough shock to maybe bring down a bear in the interior. I still don't think that you would shoot a bear in the shoulder and it would just collapse, but it is more likely to happen right. and you'll get more visible results. But the problem, again, is... Those things weigh as much as a boat anchor does. Mm-hmm. It's crazy heavy. When you're bear baiting. It's unwieldy. You need something that's fast, familiar, right, right. that you've practiced with. And I, in that event, the first shot is the one that counts the most. If you can get that first round on target faster with a 10 millimeter than you can with a 454 Casul, then you should carry the 10 yeah, millimeter. Right. That's my opinion. Take it as you will. Well, Some guys will love to argue about it. You're never going to win a bear defense argument. It's all personal. <laughs> right. You know? It's all personal. And, uh, you know, if you're, if you're bear baiting, yes. it's one thing to carry a heavy handgun if you're, re- if you're confident with it. Right. When you're sheep hunting, yeah, it's a whole other story if you're on, yeah. you know, and, and honestly, if you're on the coast, you're not carrying a pistol for bear defense unless you're, no. unless you're deer hunting. Yeah, um, exactly. Nine times out of 10, you, well, okay, to, for myself, I always try 10 out of 10 times. Yep. I always try to have a rifle with me and e- either in my hand or within an arm's reach if possible. And that's coastal brown bear guiding. That's sheep hunting. I carry a rifle everywhere I go if possible. In the event that I don't have a rifle at hand, I want a handgun that I'm familiar enough with and that I've practiced enough with to deploy it quickly and get that first round on target accurately. Right. That's the one that's either going to determine whether or not, most likely, it's going to determine what happens in that encounter. So, he says 45 Long Colt is not a bear gun. I totally agree. Maybe he's going to rethink this with a handgun, but we know he already went out and bought a new shotgun yep, for he it. he said that he already bought that's a That's a better option by leaps and bounds. A shotgun with slugs is a great in-home defense round. Yep. If you have buckshot in it for folks, and you have slugs for bears yep. if you live in Kodiak. Great Honestly, option. a slug will do a great job on folks too. That's a big hole, even yeah. with even and with no expansion. If all you're carrying is something for short range bear defense, mm-hmm. shotgun works great for that too. Yeah, especially if you're not a hunter. Yep. If you're just going fishing, if if you're just going riding, I know, yeah, I know of a lot of fishing guides that carry a short, you know, much like this uh, this neighbor's Remington 870 Tactical 12 gauge. A lot of fishing guides will carry yep. the exact same thing when they're guiding fish tours or, you know, fishing trips for bear defense because they're not on the attack. They're on the defense in a bear situation. So they're not going to shoot until it's, you know, close enough to see the whites of its eyes type of situation. 
So a shotgun with slugs is a yeah. great option. Yeah, I know a guy. He's not a bear hunter. He's lived in Alaska for many years. He's a, a Vietnam vet. Mm-hmm. But he, uh, when he goes out in the woods and he's got a cabin that he built years ago, mm-hmm. he's not a hunter, which, you know, so be it. That's what he chooses to be, more animals for me. But um, he carries a, I think he's got like a Mossberg 500, uh-huh. some kind of tactical shotgun. Yep. And he carries that thing with black magic slugs. Yep. You know, I remember going out there with him and his, he had some boys my age and we'd go out there and we shot a shotgun into some trees just to watch those slugs just absolutely destroy yeah. some spruce trees that, you know, if you, you that bear is going to drop with, with one of those placed. Yeah. It, it doesn't have to be a headshot to drop that bear. Right. Right. And again, all you ha- all you have to do is just send enough shock and awe yep. into that bear, any place vital or any place in the central body area. If it's charging, obviously it's going to be the head, neck, top of the shoulders, into the back. He's going to feel every ounce of energy coming out of that slug and slapping into him. It's probably going to change his mind. So anyway, a lot of points to take from this. 45 Colt did the job at deterring it and pushing yep. it back out. There was a whole lot of other things going on and his discretion, how to handle, how to handle the situation. Hopefully he'll I'm come really, on and we can talk to him yeah, about that. Yeah, I'm really glad nobody got hurt, obviously. His wife and kids were safe through the whole ordeal. They got to do some home redecorating and yeah. get rid of some things, I'm sure, <laughs> uh, and have a, a story of a lifetime that nobody got hurt in. And that's, yeah. that's amazing. So anyway, that's a pretty unique story for Alaska, pretty unique story for anywhere, but only in Alaska, I would say, are you going to hear about a brown bear coming into somebody's house. Everybody knows that one of the most important pieces of a hunter's kit is their knife. Whether you're looking for a fleshing blade, a skinning blade, or just a quality, multi-purpose knife for the backcountry, Yukon River Knives has what you need. They offer blades such as the Hunter, Small Game, and the Sendero Bush Knife. Yukon River Knives is based in Texas and has a unique mission goal in that a percentage of all knife sales go to support a missionary in Alaska. Now Dalton, you've experienced with these knives in the field. Talk to us about that. As a matter of fact, I have used a few of their knives and watched my good friend Remy use them for years with great results. They have a micarta handle that doesn't get slippery when it gets wet, and they have phenomenal edge retention for long skinning jobs. Go check out our web link on thenorthernhunter.com and that'll take you directly to Yukon River Knives website to see their full selection and order your knives for your next hunt with the discount code THENORTHERNHUNTER at checkout. And remember, nothing replaces a quality hunting knife. All right, folks, I want to take a second to tell you about a product I found this last year and have absolutely fallen in love with. It's the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. I used one on a recent blacktail deer hunt in southeast Alaska, and it did a great job of keeping the salt water and debris out of the action and also protecting the scope on my rifle from getting knocked around and damaged. On top of all that, the carry handle made it easy to transport the rifle to and from the boat during the hunt. When it got wet from rain and ocean spray, I hung it up at camp to dry at night, and it was always dry in 20 minutes or less. Stealthy Hunter also offers a wide variety of nutritional supplements for the outdoorsman, such as CBD oils, essential vitamins, turmeric, and bone broth. In the gear shop, they also have a lightweight first aid kit, glassing pads, and stuff sacks to organize your gear and your pack. Go check out Stealthy Hunter's website and use the code THENORTHERNHUNTER at checkout to get a discount on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. 
Hey guys, if you've listened to the show for any amount of time, you've likely heard Dalton and I go back and forth about bullet construction. Now I like rapid expanding bonded core bullets that leave massive wound channels. I've also stated I would never use a monolithic bullet. Well, I'm here to tell you about the company that finally changed my mind. Hammer Bullets produces what I would consider the most premium and best working monolithic bullets on the market today. These bullets are designed so that after penetrating the hide of an animal, the front half of the bullet explodes, shedding its petals and imparting massive damage to the vital areas while retaining the rear shank for maximum penetration, effectively closing the gap between lead core and monolithic construction. The guys at Hammer designed these bullets with 100% focus on how they perform once they reach their destination. But don't let that fool you. These bullets have amazing BCs and have specialized pressure groups built in for amazing inherent accuracy. They have a minimum velocity rating of 1800 feet per second, which allows for long range shots, but have no maximum velocity, making them perfect for every cartridge from your granddaddy's old 3030 to the high velocity rounds like the Weatherby 3378 without having to worry about your bullet failing. They've also recently partnered with Weatherby to provide factory ammunition for a multitude of cartridges. To view their expansive selection and find the perfect match for your hunting needs, go to hammerbullets.com to buy yours today and drop the hammer on your next adventure. Also like this. Yep. So anyway, on to our next thing. We had a listener question that we got an email uh, what, a week ago or so yep. that I want to address. He wrote in and asked a question about a gun, and we're going to go ahead and address that on the show today. This is... Well, Kiel? Kiel, yeah. I think is how you pronounce that. Yeah. Sorry if we get that wrong. Kiel or Chell or something like that. Yeah, it, it's kind of an interesting spelling. We assume it's foreign or it something is, yes. like that. So he writes, he says, hey guys, big fan of the podcast. Thank you. Grew up in Seward hunting for both moose and black bear around the peninsula, the Seward Peninsula, and wanted your guys' opinion on Christensen 7mm as a good all-around rifle oh, for stop. big Pause game. Right there. Pause right there. A big game up here. Sorry, I didn't mean big to stop in the here. middle of the sentence. Okay. Um, as soon as I saw this, I, uh, Kiel, if that, that's how you pronounce your name, I, I, I screenshotted it and texted it to Dalton because uh, he... Uh, Hunts with a Christensen seven mil. Okay. A lot. Yes. Go go ahead. Okay. <laughs> he goes on to say, wanting something lighter that I can lob out shots from distance while still having enough energy to take down a moose slash black bear. This is coming from a guy who currently hunts with an older Woodstock three hundred wind mag. And that's the end of his email. Yep. So I appreciate your write in uh to our listeners. If you have a question for the show, I know I already said it, feel free to feel email free us. To email it. We'd like to answer your questions if possible. So he wants my opinion or, or our opinion on the Christensen 7mm as a good all-around rifle for big game up here, he says. He wants to still have enough energy to take down a moose slash black bear, but also wants something lighter that can lob shots out from distance. So... My version of distance is over 400 yards. That's, yeah. that's how I look at distance. Anything inside 400 yards, you can accomplish with a 30 out 6 or a 270 or a 308, usually. Right. Even, heaven forbid, the 6.5 need more. I, I'm sorry, <laughs> Creed more. <laughs> 6.5 PRC, uh, you know, and, and the list goes on. But there are a plethora of calibers, or cartridges, I'm sorry, that are out there that have been out there for many, many years that are capable of ethically taking a lot of different types of game at 400 yards or less. Yep. When you stretch out past 400, a lot of those cartridges 
a lot of those traditional velocity cartridges of 2,800 feet a second or less, or even 3,000 feet a second mm-hmm. or less, but have traditional bullet designs, right. start to fall short past 400 yards for ethical killing of big game. Now, I'm not going to dive off into this too deeply when it comes to energy, but I'm going to touch on it since he mentioned it. He says he wants to lob out shots from distance while still having enough energy to take down a moose slash black bear. Energy is not the single factor that you need to be looking at in how far away you can kill an animal. And this has been said on different podcasts in a lot of different ways, so I'm going to do my best to just be simple and clear about it. Energy is one way of probably three or four different ways that you need to determine the efficacy um, of, of a shot, okay? Yep. Number one is animal placement. Is it quartering away? Is it quartering to? Is it perfectly broadside? At, once you get out at longer distances, the angle of the animal becomes more and more important to um, whether or not you take a shot. Yep. If an animal is 200 yards away and I've got enough gun for it, I, I, I'm going to shoot it pretty much almost from any angle except up the Texas heart shot if I can avoid it. Right. Right. If an animal is five or 600 yards away and he's facing me, I'd rather not take a full frontal shot through between the shoulders at that distance. Um, your bullet is slowing down considerably by then. And you're probably not going to get the overall penetration that you would get at, you know, three, 400 yards right. or even less. Whereas a shot full frontal, again, at 200 or less, I wouldn't think twice about with enough gun on, you know, if I had a, the confidence that I could place that bullet exactly where it needs to go. But again, at farther distances, that becomes a problem. Yep. You want a broadside shot at long range shooting. That's just how you should look at it. And if, you know, you just need to be patient. Be patient. The animal likely doesn't know that you're there at that kind of distance. Don't rush the situation and shoot quartering, at least hard quartering shots. Obviously, a slight quartering away isn't going to hurt anything. Right. You put it in mid-rib or back of the ribs. But if you enter back in the guts on a steeply quartering away shot, that bullet has to go through gut and stomach material through that densely packed vegetation that they're digesting and then go up into the vitals. That's a lot to ask of any bullet at that kind of distance when it's dropping that much velocity. So that's factor number one in my mind. Factor number two is going to be bullet selection. If you have a bullet that's going to be um, extremely fragile at short range and very controlled expansion at long range, let's just say a Hornady ELDX would be a good option for that. Um, then you're probably going to be okay um, in, in most situations for minimum expansion velocity, which for the ELDX is 1,800 feet per second. So you need minimum expansion velocity or better. Obviously, more is better for better expansion. So animal angle, bullet expansion velocity, yep. and then maybe you can factor in energy. Now, bullet construction figures in there as well. Obviously, we talked about the ELDX. If you're shooting a Barnes, you're going to get, uh, well, okay, a Barnes or any mono metal for that matter. Yep. A, a, a Barnes TTSX or LRX or even uh, the Hornady CX or the older GMX model. Those mono metal bullets generally require 
2,000 feet a second to get good, reliable expansion that you want for big game hunting. Yep. So your shot distances are usually decreased by those monometal construction designs, okay? The only one that I'm aware of that expands well below that velocity in the monometal world is the Barnes LRX, yes. which they advertise a minimum expansion velocity of 1,600 feet per second which really gives you the ability to stretch out quite a bit farther. And that's because I believe, and if someone out there knows, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe they used a softer copper compound in the nose of the bullet, which allows it to expand easier with less resistance at long distance. Now, on the other side of that spectrum, at ultra close range shots, the LRX will be more prone to lose a couple of pedals after it impacts because of that softer copper nose. Not a problem in my mind. I've had a couple of Barnes shed pedals, and I've had a bunch that didn't. Mm -hmm. I don't have a whole lot of game that I've shot with the LRX. I've killed a couple animals with it. I've got a friend that shoots them out of a 7 mag. He has a a 139-grain LRX load that he shot mountain goats and grizzly bears and moose with, and he's got one-shot kills on most everything, I believe. Uh, and he can correct me if I'm wrong. But anyway, he's had great results, and I don't, I don't believe he's ever lost any pedals on those. And that 139 out of a 7 mag, he has going at north of 3250. That's fast. At the muzzle. And that's a fast, fast bullet. So anyway, that is kind of your option for monometal for long distances. You're usually going to be uh, hampered by the construction because you need more velocity to get good expansion. So anyway, back to what we were saying, after you consider all those things, then you can jump to energy. And for that particular cartridge, you could say, okay, I want minimum 1,500 foot-pounds of energy at my uh, lowest desirable impact range. I'm sorry, at my my farthest desirable impact range. So that'll help you also uh, kind of pick your maximum distance, whether that's 500 yards, 600 yards, 800 yards or even 1,000 if you're shooting enough gun for right. it. Right. Well, and where that comes in, picking a minimum energy mm-hmm. with after picking a minimum velocity. Yes. Is is especially with those longer range bullets. Right. Because, I mean, you've got, for, for the mono you've got the LRX, but then you've got the uh, the Nosler. Acubon long range. Acubon long range, uh, which is like 1,500 or 1,300. Is it really that yeah, low? it's extremely low. Whoa. It's really low. Right. Um, it's either 15 or 13, I remember which. But And that's where you really start dropping low energy. Yeah. And so yeah. I think that's going to affect more the uh, how much animal you have to go through to get good penetration. Right. So here's how I think. Yep. I've never considered um, impact energy on an animal because it's not the same throughout different cartridges. If you look at a 4570 with a 430 grain uh, flat nose hard cast bullet yep. going, I, it's not very fast. No, it's not. You're getting 3,000 foot pounds at the muzzle. Now, that being said, we both know that the 4570 with a 430 grain hard cast is a very, very good option for deep penetration on big I game. I shot a small black bear. At close range, mm-hmm. and it completely flipped the bear over backwards. Completely, I mean, it had just stood up, and it completely flipped it over, uh, like oh, 360 degrees, just about. So, 
On the other side of that, a 7mm Remington Magnum with a 160 grain bullet going 3,000 feet per second yep. has 3,000 foot-pounds of muzzle energy. Right. That is not the same capability it's not. as the 4570 with a 430 grain bullet. So that's why I say to people, do not take muzzle energy as your single factor for determining the effectiveness of a cartridge for hunting because it varies from different cartridge to different cartridge. And again, I'm trying not to get too far off into this. I hope I haven't lost anybody yet. But my personal belief and opinion is that if you have enough velocity at impact to get proper expansion with your bullet, and if you have picked your shot angle properly, you'll kill that animal even if right. you have, let's just say, air quotes, less than desirable impact energy. You'll hear a lot of people throw around energy uh, minimums, much like we talk about velocity minimums. Yeah. They'll say, well, you want 1,800 foot-pounds for moose and elk and bear, but you want 1,500, at the lowest, 1,300 foot-pounds upon impact for deer-sized game. Yeah. Well, that might be a good thing to think, but what if at 1,500 foot-pounds, your velocity is 1,000 feet a second? That doesn't apply. Right. Right? Because you don't have enough velocity to expand. Now, that may never happen with any Magnum cartridge. That may not even be possible well, to reach like, that low of an energy and have that low of velocity, right? right? Well, but like you said, though, it depends a lot more on bullet type at that point as well. Right, and that's, that's where I come from in this argument. I don't think that bullet energy is nearly as important as a lot of people make it out to right. be. If you have enough velocity and if you've picked the proper shot angle... And if you have the properly constructed bullet for the job, I personally completely disregard muzzle energy. I do not even think about it. That's not what I'm using to, to determine the effectiveness of a particular cartridge and bullet combo to kill a, uh, to kill a big game animal. Right. Whether it's a moose, a coastal brown bear, or a black-tailed deer. That's not what I think about. I think about bullet construction, what type of bullet I'm shooting, how fast it's going, and where I put it. So that being said, let's move on from that. We're not going to talk anymore about bullet energy. Yep. Um, we're going to cover a little bit here. He says, opinion on the Christensen 7mm. So Christensen makes a bunch of different models of rifles. Yep. They all have one thing in common. They're all push-feed guns. Okay? They're a Remington 700 style of action. Yep. They're not a control-feed gun. If you want further information on this, wait till we talk about it in a YouTube video because we have to do that at some point. Yep. And we will. We should, there hopefully. are some distinct advantages of a control feed action in adverse atmospheric conditions. If you get sand and mud and grit in your action, a, a control round feed action is more likely to function even in those kind of problems. It is more likely to function properly than a push feed action is. There are a lot of great push-feed actions out there. The Model 700 blueprints that we see all throughout the industry are, for the most part, going to work for most of Hunter's needs. I've had a Christensen Mesa 7mm for years now, and I've shot well over 20 animals with it. I've never had a malfunction in the field. Yep. I've had some times where I've had ejection problems, and, and I, even, I, I hesitate to call them problems. It'll be 
you know, at one point I had a scope that I mounted pretty low to the yep. action. And when I would go to eject around, it would pop up. Sometimes it would pop the it would pop the brass up, and it would hit a side of the scope, and it would just stay. Oh, it bounced back in on top of the magazine, and it would obstruct the next round from right. loading. So that doesn't happen anymore. I mounted my current scope a little bit higher. It's not quite as low. A little bit higher is usually a little better for and, the range. Well, oh, well, totally different topic. Totally different topic. But yeah. Anyway, um, th- that particular rifle has never malfunctioned. It- it's had a little bit of issues as far as how I've had it set up, but it's always shot well, number one. It shoots all but one factory load that I've ever put through it to under an inch, and that's not an exaggeration. Now, most of these loads I've only shot with three-shot groups. Right. I've shot quite a few of them with five-shot groups, which are a much better test for a rifle. Most companies advertise a three-shot one minute of angle accuracy guarantee out of the box with premium factory ammunition. The premium rifle brands guarantee a five shot one minute of angle group at 100 yards out of the box with premium factory ammo. The ultra custom guns offer half minute of angle and some even quarter minute of angle at 100 yards with five shot groups. That is extreme accuracy. This one is guaranteed to one minute of angle with a three-shot group. I've never had a problem meeting that standard except with one factory load, and I'm not going to talk about that right now. It was a federal terminal yep. ascent. There's a lot more one, things that go into that. 155 grain. I'm not going to talk about all the reasons I have, that, uh, that all the theories that I have as to why that bullet wasn't as accurate, but it just wasn't. The gun didn't like it. But as far as other loads that it did like, 139 LRX, 140 TTSX, 150 TTSX, 160 TSX, 175 grain trophy bonded bear claw, 160 partition, 140 partition, 160 acubond, 140 acubond, 162 ELDX, and the list goes on. This is just the ones that I can think of right now on the spot. It shoots all those loads I just mentioned into well under an inch three shot group at 100 yards. That is versatility. That, and by the way, over half of those loads shoot within a half inch of the same point of impact. So there is little to no adjustment with my zero, switching from one load to another. Obviously, you always shoot your gun if you switch loads. Yep. Don't ever assume that it's going to be the same. Always shoot your gun if you're going to switch loads. But if I go to the range and I shoot a couple different ones and I know that they all shoot the same point of impact, that's great versatility in the field. Right. That would allow me to, say, shoot... 160 grain Barnes TSX and, and and carry those in the gun while I'm in the brush on the way up the sheep mountain. And then once I break out of the brush, I can switch over to a 162 ELDX for rams. That gives me a higher BC, better right. wind drift resistance, um, a lot longer shooting capability on a sheep where I don't need the high, uh, where I don't need the construction and the durability of a Barnes TSX. Yep. But when I'm in the brush, I can put that in there and it'll shoot the same point of impact if I get charged by a bear, right? So that being said, my Christensen Mesa 7 mag, I've never had an issue with. It is really hard to disassemble the bolt on a Christensen 7 mag. Right. Uh, and, and, and that goes for any Christensen action as well. It, it's, it's a Model 700 style action. And for those of you that are familiar with it, great. You understand my pain. 
But for those of you that aren't, we're going to do a video on bolt disassembly for that gun at we some point as well. Hopefully, the next few months be coming out with some YouTube videos on yeah. bolt disassembly and things like that. Correct. So, in the field, if you were to have an issue with your gun getting mud or sand in your bolt itself, let's just say that you dropped it in a river and you got a bunch of silty sand grit in your bolt, yeah, and it wasn't firing, and you had to disassemble that bolt in the field. It, w it could potentially be a nightmare to do that. You can do it with a shoelace, and it you can pull it off, but it's less than ideal. Let's just say a Tika bolt disassembly, you can do with... It's very easy. You showed me that the other day. With an Allen wrench, which you should always have for your scope turret anyway. You could do it with a, with a piece of shoelace just to put through that little gap yeah, I was gonna say, you behind do the firing pin. Anything like that. If you have strong enough fingers, you could do it with your fingers just about. You could. You could. It, it, that would make it tougher. But point being, the Tika bolt disassembly is much easier, which leads me to my next point. He's considering a Christensen 7mm. Now, I don't know which model he's considering. Yep. Like I said, I only own a Mesa. And... I know a few other guys that have had ridge lines, which is the steel action with a carbon barrel. I don't know anybody personally that has any of the ultra high-end Christensen models right. that have the titanium actions. Um, those seem to be like good guns, but personally, I think by the time you get up to that price point where you're paying for a Christensen titanium with a carbon barrel, you can put that money and a little bit more into a fully customized rifle. You don't. I, in my opinion, I, I don't think I would ever spend five thousand dollars on a factory run-of-the-mill the rifle. The only place I could see somebody doing that is if they don't, if they just want something, they don't have to do the research to build and, and put together. You can buy a Weatherby yep. that's just as nice of a gun that has all the features that this gun has for half the price of some of these Christians and ultra high-end guns, right? Christensen is getting but thirty five hundred bucks caliber availability. Yes, Christensen has more caliber variety. Yeah. Another company that that can pull this off as kind of a semi custom gun is a Fierce. They just okay. came out with a new gun a couple of days ago. The the new Fierce Rogue. I'd love to get my hands on one. Anyway, topic for a different yep. time. So the Christensen, we don't know what model he's talking about. I'm gonna assume Mesa or Ridgeline just because of the price point. You can get into a Mesa now for about 1300 bucks. A ridge line is going to cost you 1850, round about that area, right. okay? If you get the new FFT model with the lightened stock, you lose a pound, you gain about 300 bucks in price. So a, so a Mesa FFT is going to be about I don't know, 1500, 1600 bucks and the ridge line will be upwards of 2100, 2200 bucks for the lightened version. So depending on what he's talking about, they're all the, those are both the same action. They're probably both going to shoot good. But my point here is this. If you are looking at it from a budget standpoint, make sure you can get good glass. Make sure you can afford to put a high-end scope on that gun after you dole out the cash for that rifle. Yep. Don't buy a $1,200 gun if you're going to buy the Mesa and then go out and buy a Vortex Crossfire for it, right. which is a $200 scope. Don't go do that, okay? I would rather see somebody go out and buy off the shelf a Tika T3X Superlight in 7 mag or 300 win mag right. or whatever their desired caliber is and instead put about 800 bucks into, their, into that Tika stock rifle that's not as fancy, 
It's not as blingy. It's not as, you know, it, it doesn't have the Cerakotes. But it shoots Buy phenomenal. it in stainless, but it's going to shoot as good as, usually as good as, if not sometimes better, with three-shot groups at 100 yards. Tikas still have the one-minute-of-angle, three-shot, minute-of-angle guarantee as Christensen Mesas and Ridgelines do, okay? So, from an accuracy standpoint, you're going to be about the same. Sometimes better. My Tika 300 Win Mag yep. will shoot on par with my Christensen 7 Mag. And with some loads, much better. I remember shooting, you had a Tika 7 mil at one point, mm-hmm. and I remember shooting it at, at 100 yards, and I couldn't believe how easy. And that was with a 139 grain up. LRX. Was, it, that, was that what those were? Yes. And that shot, I believe the group that you shot, we covered with a dime yeah. at 100 yards. Unreal accuracy. That was accuracy. the first time I'd shot that rifle. Right. Hadn't even seen that scope before. And I have a couple other friends that bo- that, that that own Tika 7 mags. Same thing. Yeah. It's j- just crazy good accuracy. Another buddy who's who's a guide who who shot a sheep at 700 with yeah. a Tika 7 mil. Or no, it was a, that was a 300 short mag. But That's still, right. it was a Tika. Right, right. So, point being, they shoot just as good. They're not as nice of an overall product. They're easier to, to field strip the bolt, to clean it if need be, if you come across that situation. And then my biggest point is you free up more money for ultra high yes. glass clarity, quality, durability, and reliability of your turrets in the field. Okay. If you can get away with buying the Christensen rifle and a scope to match it, that's awesome. Go ahead and go do it. I got nothing against a nice rifle. There's nothing wrong with right. a nice factory Right out of the box, it's coated, has all the features that you want. It's the color that you want. That's awesome. But a lot of people that are listening to this podcast don't have that ability. Most hunters can't afford to go spend $1,500 on a rifle and another 1000 on a scope. Yep. Most people you see, they buy a $1,500 gun and they go out and buy a $300 scope for it. Or they do like my coworker who... Just thought it would be good to spend more money on glass. Mm-hmm. And you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And because he'd heard me talking about it, he heard my sister talking about it, and to him, a $500 scope was expensive. Yes. So he went down to the gun show, which you might find a good deal on a scope at the gun show, mm-hmm. but don't just buy the first thing the guy from Florida sells you. <laughs> and I don't know if the guy was from Florida or not. He may have been from Texas or something. But anyhow, he bought a um, Osprey or something like that for mm-hmm. 800 bucks. Mm-hmm. It's huge. It's heavy. Yeah. I hope it shoots straight shoots straight for him. Yeah. You know, he wheeler hunts, so it being heavy. Probably not locking turrets, probably not capped turrets. Yeah, and I mean probably got a whole a, lot of wannabe bells yeah, and whistles. He showed on me a picture it. of it. He has a Tika three hundred that he, that was bought by mm-hmm. you know, some fa- some of his family for him to get mm-hmm. him a nicer rifle. But um yeah, it just Do your research, yes. Buy the quality products. Okay. Back to my point. If you're considering the Christensen, but your budget for glass is less than 500 bucks, change your mind on the rifle. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Go buy, switch your focus to yep. a Tika stainless, either a T3X stainless light or a super light, which has the fluted barrel. I've got a T3X stainless super light in 300 wind mag that I've done a bunch of different modifications to. I've replaced the bottom metal with aluminum. Right. It's not plastic anymore, okay? That's something that about, that's about Tikas that I don't like. I don't like the plastic bottom metal. Does it work? Yes. If down the road you have a couple hundred bucks to throw at it, you can do that when you have the money for it. 
But in the meantime, you can afford right at the beginning to buy a nicer scope yep. for it, which is what you want to do. On my Tika, I have a Leupold VX5 HD 3 to 15 by 44 with a ZL2 locking turret. Okay. That scope will get that gun out to 850, 900, right. and if not farther with the right load that, that, that takes advantage of that flatter shooting caliber. Now, with that being said, you don't need to buy a VX5. That's about a thousand dollars. I have a um... a, v, a VX3 HD yep. gets you one revolution of dial out of your turret, which gets you about thirteen about thirteen minutes of dial, which on most Magnum calibers will get you out to six hundred to seven hundred yards. Yep. Okay, that's plenty far enough for about ninety plus percent of most hunting shooting situations. So, a VX3 HD is where you want to start for glass quality, and you want to go up from there. Okay. So, again, if you have the budget for the Christensen and you want to just go that route and you can afford the nicer scope, I would start then at a VX5 and go up from there. Start at a thousand bucks and go up from there. Okay. Other good options would be the Leica Amplus 6i 3 to 18. I've got mm -hmm. that on my Christensen 7 mag right now. I used it deer hunting in Southeast a couple of weeks ago. It works awesome. Phenomenal, reliable turret. I really like the design. At my heart, core, I'm a loophole guy. I have a lot of loophole scopes. I've never had a problem with them. I've never had one get destroyed. I've never had one fog up. They're durable. They have the best warranty you'll never need. All right. Okay? Loophole doesn't advertise their warranty like the big com uh, competition company does to loophole. And we all know who I'm talking about. If you don't, well, I'm not going to be a mudslinger. But a lot of folks have issues with this other company. And if you go to the local sportsman's warehouse, that's what they're going to try to sell you. Don't walk into a box store and let them sell you a different brand based on a warranty. Right. Don't, if, if they sell you something on a warranty that they say, yeah, but if it ever fails, they don't even ask questions. That should raise a red flag to you. Yeah. You want to buy a piece of glass that you don't have to worry about it needing a warranty when you're in the middle of a once-in-a-lifetime right. hunt. Guess what? If you're in the middle of a once-in-a-lifetime hunt and you have a scope failure, a warranty does you zero good while you're in the field. Right. Now, you've just got a, now you've just got a rifle that you can't even shoot with your scope that you can't even see through. Okay, yep. That does you zero good to have to come back after your hunt is over that is now ruined, by the way, because you have a piece of glass yep. that fogged up on you. Okay. And by the way, Loophole has a great lifetime yes. warranty. Yes. But you never hear about it because you don't need it. Yes. You don't need it. People that use a loophole warranty are the guys, okay, there's a, there's a perfectly good example of this. I know of a bear guide that uh, he had a quick detach mount for his loophole VX3, one and a half to five by 20. It's a okay. straight tube, yep. dangerous game rifle style scope. He had it on a 375. His client killed a brown bear. He took the scope off of his gun with those QD mounts. And at some point, it either fell out of his pack or wherever he had it stowed, and he dropped it on the pack out. He dropped it in a creek. He lost the scope. He was bummed out about it. He went back and bought a new one. The next season, he was back out there and found the scope in the sand at high tide wow. line. Found his old scope. The scope caps had stayed on, so it kept the sand off the lenses. But it had been washed over in salt water frozen in the winter time and he picked it up brought it back to main camp 
took off the quick detach mounts on his rifle, mm-hmm. put it back on, put the old one back on, and it still shot to zero, and there was no moisture inside the tube. Sitting in a year wow. in Alaska on a beach, frozen and covered in salt water, and it didn't fail a year later. Right. I can promise you, you know, I had a, there are a whole lot of good scope brands out there that can't talk about a statement like that. My loophole's been on my rifle when I wrecked my wheeler. Mm-hmm. Um, or flipped my wheeler. Yep. And uh, it was in it was in a gun boot. Yep. But it shot straight after that. That I've never had to re-zero that scope yep. ever. And that rifle's been yeah beat around a lot. Yep. Um, I had a Redfield on a rifle before that. Mm-hmm. I even had a Redfield on that rifle. Yep. Um, I had it. I had that Redfield on another rifle. Redfield's made by Leupold in the Leupold factory. Yep. In the in the same tube plant or something like that. Different glass, but yeah, same tubes. Yep. Um, that one was on a wheeler that got wrecked. Mm-hmm. It was strapped in a soft case to the front rack of a four wheeler mm-hmm. that flipped down a hill and rolled over about um eight times. Which, by the way, bent the barrel on bent the, the rifle. Bent the barrel on the rifle. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm and doing research on straightening that. Yeah. Looks like it's possible. I'm going to try to do it. It's an old, right, old cheap rifle. I think it's worth some fun. Yeah. If I can get it to shoot straight, if I can shoot a hundred yards confident with It'd it, I might. be a fun experiment. Yeah, it would be. Anyhow. Um, and I watched, I, I was sitting there. I had been able to jump off the wheeler before it landed on me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I watched it, you know, and I've got the, fe- just the feelings, the sinking feeling of mm-hmm. straps flying off and stuff flying yep. everywhere. And yep. yep. I broke a, uh, I had a tablet very well padded in a bag, completely crushed that thing, smashed the screen. Yeah. Anyhow, but that rifle, I could see it was strapped well, it strapped down well, but yeah. it got to a point where one strap came loose and it was slapping back and forth. Every time the wheeler would come up, the rifle would come up and it yeah. rolled back over and the thing would just slam back against the rack. Wow. Like I said, bent the barrel. Took the scope off that rifle at the time. I put it back on my OT6, re-zeroed it, shot great. Yeah. Later, I bought a 300 Wisdom, put the scope on that, shot great. Mm-hmm. Yep. I still have that scope. It's back on my 3D out six at this point. Yeah. Yep. Never broke a yeah. seal. And that's not a loophole. Yeah. That's a Redfield. But made, made by, by loophole. Same thing, though. The best warranty you'll never need. Yeah. Anyway, enough said about that. At the end of the day, this podcast is a heavy We're not recommend. sponsored by them, although it sounds like it right about now. We heavily recommend loophole on this podcast. Yeah. If you want the best brand overall for Alaska hunting, there isn't a scope that you need for Alaska hunting that Leupold doesn't make. Yep. That's enough said. So anyway, back to our rifle question here. I know that's a long way to say if you can afford the Christensen and a high dollar scope, that's great. If you can't, I would adjust that to a Tika and also tell you that even if you have the money for a Christensen, I would look into Tikas anyway. Yeah. After owning the Christensen for a while, there are a few things that I don't particularly care for about it. Number one on that list is this. The safety does not lock the bolt down. When a Christensen rifle safety is engaged, you can still lift the bolt and unload and load the rifle really? with the safety on. Now, on a Tika, you cannot. No. When that safety is engaged, that bolt is locked down. It is not coming up. If you have a round in the chamber that you have the safety on and you're, you know, pursuing an animal or entering a position where you're about to shoot, that bolt can't get caught on anything and come up and, you know, present a problem when you need to shoot. 
Now, I've never had this happen on my Christians, and I've had it happen on other rifles that are a similar action design and uh, been hunting and realized at some point that on my backpack or over my shoulder, my bolt had come open. And I had, now, I had never had a round in the chamber when this happened, mm-hmm. but the bolt had come open and dirt or pine needles or whatever had gotten in around the action. So I had to take the gun off my back and then clean it out. Now, again, it's not so much to me a safety issue as it is a peace of mind. Right. And that safety is on, that bolt is shut, there's nothing getting in or out of that action. Whatever's in there is staying in there and it ain't coming out, and whatever's not in there, nothing else is going to get in there in its right. place, right? I like that about Tikas. On the Seiko actions, they have the same style safety, but they have a button to bypass the safety mm-hmm. so that you can unload the rifle with the safety still on, but the bolt remains locked unless you push that little button. The Browning X-Bolt action is, the, is much the same way. It's a lock bolt safety on the tang of the rifle, much like the old Ruger tang safeties are. Mm-hmm. But at the top of the bolt handle on the on the Browning X bolt action, there's a button that, well, with the safety on the bolt locked, you can push that button and lift the bolt and unload the gun with it still on safe. So that's my number one gripe about the Remington style safety that Christensen uses: is it doesn't lock the bolt. And even though I've never had it happen. It could, and I'm always very, very conscious about it. That's one of the main reasons why when I guided this last fall, for all of August and September, I was planning on, uh, on carrying that 7 mag during sheep season because it would stretch out farther. Mm-hmm. If a client needed a gun, if they had an issue with theirs, I could just hand them mine, and they could stretch out and shoot a ram if need be with my rifle. However... I chose my Tika 300 Win Mag to carry for two months straight because it had a locking bolt safety. That is really important to me. I carry 13 rounds on a sheep hunt. I don't have room to have one come out of a to have one come out of a chamber if that right. bolt comes open and I lose one. That's a bad situation for me. Like I said, a finite a finite round count on a sheep hunt, even on a caribou or moose hunt. I'm not carrying three boxes of ammo. If I lose a couple, I I, I think about it. You know, mm-hmm. what if I have to back a client up on a on a on a on a grizzly bear shot, and then I go track it into the brush and I shoot it two or three times? Or what if it charges me? And then what if I have to shoot a bear in camp? And then you know all these things. And obviously, it's all a bunch of hypotheticals and what ifs. But what if? And I think that way. I'm kind of a detail-oriented guy when it comes to guns, and I kind of obsess over stuff like this. So to me, a locking bolt safety is essential on an all-around big-game hunting rifle, and that is a serious count against the Christensen as an all-around big-game hunting rifle in Alaska. Now, as for the 7 mag, he says he already has a Woodstock 300 yep. mag. I'm going to pitch you a scenario. My buddy Remy that I guide with... In the valley. He has an old 300 Win Mag. It's an old Mauser. It's a herder's Mauser. Okay. It was his mom's dad's rifle. Wow. It's an old gun. Okay. Old blued rifle. It had a wooden stock on it. It had an old VX2 loophole scope on it, a 3 to 9. And he's shot a bunch of animals with it growing up. Well, he decided this year that he wanted to buy a new 300 or at least a new Magnum caliber rifle right. of some sort or another, either a 7 mag or a new 300, because his was just old 
and it, it had a wooden stock and we had kind of figured out that it wasn't shooting so good because uh, the stock had had come in contact with the barrel. Okay. So it wasn't free floated anymore. So also it had a terrible trigger on it. So he wanted to just upgrade rifles. And then I told him, I said, well, you know, you could just buy a new stock for this gun. You could buy a new trigger for it. You could get it Cerakoted and you could put a nicer scope on it. And voila, now you've got a completely revamped gun that still has a sentimental value of this old rifle for you. So he did that. Uh -huh. He bought a new stock for it. He had a gunsmith put a new trigger on it. He didn't end up Cerakoting it because it never rusted, even though it's an old blue Those gun. Old blue gun. The old bluing back from the old days It's almost lasts. better than the new stainless. It lasts. And he's, yeah. he's never had a speck of rust on it. And he put a new uh, Leupold VX3 HD, 4.5 to 14 by 40. And that gun shoots lights out now. Lights out. With 180 grain Hornady CX. He was shooting rocks with me out at the beach yep. at camp at, I think it was 450. And we were shooting same hole groups. No exaggeration. And this gun is, man, it's at least 40 years old. So my point, sorry yeah. to interrupt you there. My point is this listener that wrote in, he said, this is coming from a guy who currently hunts with an older Woodstock 300 Wind Mag. If the gun has sentimental value, and if it's a good, high-quality gun, yeah. don't rule out the option of just buying a new stock for it, getting it, get, getting a new trigger and maybe right. a new safety put in it uh, that has a locking bolt design, if it doesn't already, and maybe getting it rebarreled and putting a better scope on it if you want that action. If you don't, I wouldn't necessarily look at Christensen just because they are the biggest kind of over-the-counter brand right now. Yeah. When you walk into a sportsman's warehouse right now, you're going to see Browning, Tika's, and Christensen's are, okay, I'm sorry, and Bergara's yeah. as kind of the four major brands that have a lot of different options on the shelf right now, at least in Fairbanks. Tika's, in my opinion, are right up there with any one of those names I just mentioned as far as accuracy goes. Now, some of the higher, higher-end Christiansons that, are, that come with better accuracy guarantees are going to be better rifles, but he didn't specify. So, yeah. like I said earlier, we're going to say Mesa or Ridgeline. So, with the safety issue being in mind, having a locking bolt is important, and there are a lot of aftermarket accessories. I'm personally going to buy a new stock for my 300 Win Mag on that Tika. Mesa Precision makes the Altitude stock. It's an all-carbon mm -hmm. fiber stock. Me about that one. Has a little bit better cheek weld on it. Has more of a vertical grip. Super lightweight. But I don't particularly care for the plastic stock. After upgrading everything else on it, I put a titanium um, big pineapple bolt handle on right. my on my 300 Win Mag that I can grab easier with gloves and whatnot. And uh, anyway, I, I put the newer uh, the, the new palm swell vertical grip that comes as a as as an option with that T3X stock. It is somewhat modular, so there are things that you can do to a Tika that 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 greatly improve the aesthetics and the feel and the the overall look and appeal of the gun. It, just looking at it on the shelf, it's not a very jump it's out a at your rifle. Light bare bones gun that will do. Phenomenal. But exactly right. It's bare bones. There's nothing extra fancy that's going to go wrong. You can right? buy it, throw a scope on it, and it will shoot great. It's simple. It's a turnkey gun. Right. It doesn't. It, it, 
it looks like some of the $300 guns on the shelf. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Except that it's stainless. I mean, that's yeah. about the only difference. Yeah. It, 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 it doesn't, you don't look at a Tika and think, oh, wow, that looks like a really high yeah. quality rifle. Unless you know what to look for in the actions. And the actions on the Tikas are, are smoother than the Christensen actions. They're, they're insanely smooth. You can tip that gun up one way and the bolt opens. You can tip it back the other and the bolt yeah. closes. It's extremely smooth. The, uh, the tip on if you, if you buy it, if you got a Tika and you need to make it look better, or just a bare bones looking gun and it's like got a stainless barrel, just uh, about three or four inches down from the tip of that barrel, put a wrap of black electrical tape. It just <laughs> looks cooler that way. It looks like you know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> you, you look like an experienced Alaskan hunter. So anyway, that's kind of a lot of different ways to say don't just go with a Christensen um, just because they're the popular yeah. brand right now. I, there, I there, make, there are other good options out there. On, on the thought of t- taking an old gun mm-hmm. and making it work, um, because if you've got an accurate gun, you know, it looks like one of his biggest things is, is lighter mm-hmm. and he wants to shoot further. Yes. With the right bullets and the right stock, you can accomplish both those things. Yes. And uh, a muzzle break to, uh, to take down some yeah. of that. Uh, yep. But I bought a 300 Win Mag. Um, Savage. Savage 111. Mm-hmm. And it was not the new 111. It was the first 111. And they changed it after like two years. And so it was really hard to find a few parts for it, mm-hmm. but I paid like 190 bucks for it at a yard sale. Yeah. It was worth a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. So I was like, hey, why not? Took it home. Dalton spray painted the barrel for me. <laughs> I mean, I had to like custom order scope mounts. Which is like the poor man's Cerakote if you yeah. just use black well, rattle the, can. The bluing on it paint. was completely worn. Yeah. Um, I had to buy custom scope mounts. I had to find a, a custom, uh, I had to buy a, um, the specific mag for it mm-hmm. because it was it was a weird mag and it was weird scope mounts and I found it all online and a couple hundred bucks later if that I put that red field scope on it mm-hmm. and it shot great yeah it did it shot great yeah and I never got a chance to kill anything with it because I rolled it my first <laughs> one of the first times I took it I flipped my wheeler on the hillside yep. bent the barrel but and then I tried to shoot it again because I didn't know if the barrel was bent or not I had I didn't notice that and yeah I was seeing if it still was zeroed in. Definitely not. The guys I was with were like, your bullets are hitting there. I'm going, there's no way. I'm aiming over there. <laughs> and anyway. It, and it wasn't the scope. We already covered no, that. Yep. But at any rate, so yes, the Christiansons are a good option. I do like mine. I'm not going to get rid of it. I have too much sentimental value with it. But when it comes to a gun that I take for a dedicated bear hunt, yep. that's not what I grab. Because I want something that I can break down in the field. Uh you know, this year on the majority of my hunts, I'm planning to carry that 300 Win Mag Tika on all my personal hunts. You know, I've been thinking about getting a 300 Win Mag lately. Mm-hmm. Whether a Tika or if I can straighten the barrel on that one and be confident to 300 yards. I don't know. I, I looked it up. I watched a guy take a rifle barrel and smack it over a log. I'm extremely curious to see how this turns out. I, because I, I, I Personally, I'm pretty skeptical about it. It won't cost me anything but a box of ammo. <laughs> To do, yeah. right? And some time. So right. I think I'm going to mess with it. Right. Um, I'm pretty skeptical myself, but <laughs> he did say he got a barrel years ago. One of the guys who said he was smacking it over a log. Oh, my. But he said he used that technique years ago when he was in gunsmithing school. His instructor told him about it. What? And um, he said he got it within within an inch at 100. Huh. Well. Which is just... Which is great. Like, if I can get it that close, I'd be really happy, but... Don't believe the internet, Mariah. Right. Anyway, I'd like to... I'm just kidding. <laughs> right. I'm just kidding. But I'd like to fix that one. No, I'm not. Just just because it'd be cool. 
Yeah. But either way, right now, 300 Win Mag is available. Yeah. There's 300 Win Mag in a I lot haven't of seen places. 300 Short Mag for months. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. I have some bullets. I have stuff I can shoot if I need to, mm-hmm. but it's not ideal for when I want to shoot. It's more the stuff I'd rather just keep for yep. a rainy day if I really needed ammo. Yeah. Um, so. Anyway. So, yes, the Christensen is a good option. It will work, and if that's what you want and that's what you've decided on and everything I just talked about you already know and you've accepted that you want that in your rifle, that's a great choice. It's a good shooter. They are pretty well-made guns. And they look good. They do look good. They offer some good colors. They offer a lot of different options. And if you do buy the, the normal model Mesa, then you can buy the FFT upgrade kit for about 500 bucks you can buy that one-pound lighter stock. Okay. So there are upgrade options available. The nice part about the the Christiansons, I know I talked a lot about the downsides of them. The nice part about Christiansen rifles is they are Remington 700 platform. They are very easy to buy a replacement barrel for or to buy scope rings for or to buy components for if you want to replace the trigger. Mm-hmm. Remington replacement triggers are everywhere, okay? They are the most predominant aftermarket available action okay so from that perspective they are a very good yeah. option if you if you plan to make some upgrades I mean, that's what you recommended for my sister to pick up yes when she was looking for a good interior all-around yes. rifle and 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 for what she was going to do with it yep. a christensen mesa 7 mag fit the bill just Perfect. fine yeah. just fine so yes, it is a good option. The Christensen Seven Mag is a is is a good option if you decide to go that route. Equally as good, in a lot of situations, is the Tika. And so just consider the different options that come with the Tika. The locking bolt being a big one. If you're not a fan of the Dropbox magazines that Tika has, then that might be a big enough deal for you yeah. that you don't want a Tika, and that's fine. But to me, I would rather deal with a drop magazine than a non-locking bolt safety or and a cheap scope. Right, exactly. So, anyway, kind of moving on to the last part of his question here, the 7mm as a good all-around rifle for big game up here. The 7mm is a very good, adequate big game hunting cartridge for Alaska. Like I said, I've shot a pile of animals with mine. Dull sheep, caribou, black-tailed deer, pretty much just those three species. Like I said, when I go for bears, I... I choose a bigger rifle yep. just personally for myself. I like a 300 or larger for a lot of bear hunting. So the 7 Mag has always been my go-to when I'm going specifically after caribou or black-tailed deer or sheep up to this point. Now right. this year I'll be shooting my 300 for everything, so it'll be different this year, but I just want to shoot that gun more. So at any rate, the 7 Mag is a great caliber selection for big game hunting in Alaska as long as you choose the right bullet. I would recommend something in the monometal design, like a 150 Barnes TTSX or a 150 Hornady CX in the Outfitter lineup. Or if you wanted something a little bit softer that'll expand at a little bit longer distances and has a higher BC, maybe look into like a 160 Nosler Acubond. I have shot quite a few animals with that bullet and had great results. I've recovered several of them in Caribou, and one in a black-tailed deer that I shot at a steeply quartering shot at a couple hundred yards. I did recover a 160 Acubond in a black-tailed deer, and they aren't big animals. So you don't get as much penetration out of an Acubond as you're going to out of a monometal. Right. And I've, I, I've shot animals with 140-grain barns, 139-grain barns, 150 barns, 160 barns, 
and I've never recovered yep. one. They just shoot right through them. But with enough expansion that they do kill them cleanly and quickly. Now, yep. they, don't, they don't kill the same as a lead core bullet does. They don't have as quick of an expansion rate as a lead core bullet does. But again, different topic for a different time in a different episode. We'll yeah. cover monometal bullets versus lead core bullets versus bonded bullets so and all that. So we can go on with that. So there. we're not going to get off too deep in the weeds about that. But the point is the 7 mag with a monometal bullet is a great option for Alaska hunting. It is. It has great sectional density. You know, 160 grain monometal 7 mag load is going to have as good, if not better, sectional density than a 180 grain 30 caliber load is. And as, as a matter of fact, I'm going to look that up as, as we talk here. So if you have something you want to say at this point that I've been holding you off from. Bring up, I was just waiting towards the end and we're getting there. So uh, I was going to bring up, uh, we've been, uh, in the last episode, we talked about uh, um, Ryan Lampers and uh, Stealthy yes. Hunter. Yes. And we were talking about scopes, and uh, I was talking about having beat up some scopes. I don't recommend beating up scopes. I really no. don't. I don't recommend flipping them on your wheeler. Nope. Don't remember, recommend any of that. Um, you know, the, there's always been an argument about, um, you know, Dalton always likes to carry one on his back rather than his gun boot, mm -hmm. which I understand. I've done both. Uh, depending on the hunt is usually when I where I make my choice. It depends on the kind of hunt I'm doing. Um, but... There's been instances where I've had my rifle in my gun boot, and if my rifle was on my back, mm -hmm. w at the time it was in my boot when I flipped my wheeler or something, it would have gr would have destroyed my rifle yes. had it been on my back. Yes. That that scope would have got dense in it. That rifle would have got, who knows, maybe it would have still shot straight, but it wouldn't have ever been the same again. Mm -hmm. It was in the in the boot, protected it. That being said, um. Ryan makes a rifle cover. Rifle cover. It doesn't cover the whole rifle. It covers the. It's called a scope and crown cover. Covers a scope. Covers your action, so it keeps the junk out of it. Mm -hmm. It's padded. It's got something that flips over the end of the barrel. I still like to tape it up, but that's mm -hmm. up to you, depending on what you're doing. Um, yep. I'm and the, I'm the same way. I haven't used it hunting yet. You've used it a lot at yep. this point. Um, yep. but I threw it on my rifle the other day because I got my rifle out. Let me throw this thing on. Let's look at it. I threw it on there because I was taking my rifle somewhere. And just sec sticking it in the back of my truck, I had this, and I'm not exaggerating because he's sponsoring us or anything. This is exactly how I felt. I've stuck it in my truck, and I thought, I don't really, I'm not as worried about my scope touching mm -hmm. my seatbelt. Like, it's right. always bugged me when something on my rifle or my scope is touching my seatbelt. Yeah. I'm adjusting. I'm putting things between them. Now it's I can just set it on yeah. the seat, and there it was. The glass won't get scratched by anything in the yeah. truck. You, you don't have to worry about anything rubbing up against it knocking it if it if it falls off the seat it doesn't matter right i mean obviously <laughs> now, you don't want that obviously to be careful with your rifle but they are a great it tool. just brings peace of mind anyhow um right. if you go to the northernhunter.com there's mm -hmm. a banner right there on the home page it says uh stealthy hunter and there's a few pictures of some of his product there's a link and there's our discount code which is the northern hunter you can get that rifle cover at a discount or anything any of the supplements glassing pad that yes. he makes yes uh, at a discount so back to what I was saying just a couple of minutes ago, and we'll wrap this up here shortly. The sectional density of a 160 grain Barnes TSX in a 7 mag is 0.283. Okay. Okay. In a 300 wind mag, 180 grain Barnes TTSX, the sectional density is 0.271. So with a lighter bullet 
in a smaller caliber rifle, yep. you have higher sectional density with a 7 mag than you do a 300 wind mag. Those are both standard caliber weights for those cartridges. Mm-hmm. The 300 wind mag, by far, I would say the most common factory load weight is a 180 grain bullet. Basically, the most common factory weight bullet for the 7 mag is 155 to 162. Usually, 160 is being the most common. That's what I see the most of. Okay. Now, that sectional density greatly helps with good penetration. That's why a lot of guys like those 284s over a 6.5 or over a 30 caliber even because you get less recoil than a 30 caliber mm-hmm. with oftentimes equal, equally as good penetration with a lighter bullet. And by the way, because it's a narrower bore diameter, that bullet is longer to get up to weight. That means you have a more streamlined and a lot, a lot of times a more sleek design on the yep. bullet, a longer boat tail, a longer overall profile, which gives you better ballistics, less wind drift, less overall mm-hmm. drop. It's a more efficient shape going through the air. Right. Okay, there's less resistance, basically, in, in layman's terms. Mm-hmm. Now, on that same note, you get all those qualities and at less recoil than a, than a 300 wind yes. mag. Less recoil is a huge thing. To get all those things, all those good upside benefits, and I, I believe it's somewhere about 30% less recoil than a 300 Win mag, which puts it down there right about the 30 out 6. The 7 rem mag is very close to a, a, um, a 30 out 6 in terms of felt recoil. So, that being said, the 7 mag is perfectly capable yep. of taking down every animal in the state, and I, I even know guys that have done it with coastal brown bears with the 160 grain mono metal bullet you shoot a brown bear in the boiler room don't try to hit it in the front shoulder just go through the ribs take yep. out the lungs that's a dead bear man dead bear pick your distances pick your shot angle pick your bullet right just like we talked about way earlier in yep. the show and be responsible put the bullet where it needs to go and as long as everything that i just said is in order and as long as you've been selective on your shot angle and you pick the right bullet and you're close enough you right. have adequate velocity for good expansion. That's a dead brown bear. No, I think uh, maybe nine foot bear, ten foot bear doesn't matter. It's going to kill it. Something I want to talk about since we've been talking about this, yes. not this podcast, but yep. I'd like to do this in the next few podcasts. So maybe a little bit of a teaser, a little bit of a foreshadowing. Oh, there we go. Be, um, Big word. I'm considering a larger bore caliber mm-hmm. for long range. Yes. And I'd like to talk about why I'm doing that over, say, a seven mil. Mm-hmm. And, and we can bring that up at another yes. point. But. And uh, yeah, so I, I'm not I'm not trying to say that the that the seven mag is the be all end all hunting caliber for extended distances. It is definitely not. There are better options out there, yeah. but not everybody wants to put up with the with the incoming recoil that you get from going bigger and heavier. Right. So in this area, for a very widely available cartridge like the seven rem mag. Been around since the 60s, and it ain't going anywhere. It's a great option. It is. So I hope that answers your question. I know we've parked on this for quite a while now. We've rambled on. I hope there was some good information there that you guys could glean Seemed from this. fairly straightforward. Yeah, I, I tried to keep it a lot of, pretty lot of straight to the point. Maybe he'll 
Maybe he'll stick with a 300. Who knows? Maybe he'll find a caliber that we barely even know anything about and decide that's and what he wants what? to go with. And you know what? If if I didn't quite cover what you wanted to yeah. hear, let us know. email us again, and I'll answer your next hopefully question. Hopefully, we can answer it a little shorter on a different episode, yeah. and we'll talk about whatever other questions you have. Yeah. Even if we don't talk about it in the episode, I'll reach out to you directly, and I can answer some more yeah. questions. Yeah, he you have. had another question um, about a first aid kit or something like mm-hmm. that, and uh, we'll cover that down the we'll road. We'll cover that down the yes, road, maybe with, in another question and answers, yeah, or something like that. Exactly. So I appreciate you. I appreciate you uh, writing in to the show. Back to what Mariah was saying a couple of minutes ago. Thank you guys for listening. Go check out Stealthy Hunter's website with Ryan Lampers and his wife, Hillary. Their supplements and their gear as well. Rifle covers, glassing pads, and first aid kits and stuff sacks for your gear in your pack. We appreciate the the support, guys. Anything that you purchase from them with the discount, the Northern Hunter, goes to support the Northern Hunter podcast. It does. And we appreciate that sincerely. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll catch you next week. I'm Dalton Gray, your host for the week. James will be back next week. Thanks for listening. Have a good one.